we are living on a planet with multiple perspectives, multiple voices. We are not the center of it. You know, as humans, we are not all that all the time. And I think when we can really embrace the possibility of these deep connections, seeing the tree as an individual, knowing our dog as an individual, seeing ourselves as part of a web, it, it, it naturally decenters us a little bit. It naturally brings in a humbleness of, of being, which I think is really an important balance to all the amazing things that we can do as humans with our highly developed, you know, cerebral cortex and all of the art and the ingenuity and innovation. And we just also need to come back to earth and, and be part of the larger whole. So I think it's a perspective piece that we miss out on, which is a tragedy to miss out on. Mm. Have you ever felt out of place? Have you been surrounded by people you don't get and who don't get you? Do you like spending time in nature or with animals more than with other humans? Or do you love humans in the natural world, but feel concerned about how that weird relationship is going? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We understand. And we are so pleased to bring you this conversation with a person who has dedicated her life to helping bridge the gaps between humans, animals, and the larger natural world. She helps remind us that while sometimes we feel separate, we are always a meaningful part of this remarkable life on planet Earth. Hello, hotties. Welcome to that weekly podcast for people craving a sense of connectedness, a dose of empathy, a glimpse of the way forward, and an opportunity, always an opportunity to engage. Yes, our guest this week is Deb Matlock. Deb is an environmental educator and a naturalist, a shamanic practitioner, and an animal communicator. She helps people and animals through spiritual coaching and shamanic style journey work. I know, I know. It sounds really woo-woo. It sounds a little bit out of place for this podcast, but but stick with us. Deb is also a skeptic, and she's also dedicated to exploring her own and our spiritual connections to life and the more-than-human world in a way that really fits with who we are and who we think you, our audience, is. Mm-hmm. Deb has a master's degree in environmental education and is working on her PhD. She's a certified life coach and a wilderness first responder. Deb's personal mission is to help others explore the wilderness within themselves, as well as their love and connection to the amazing world around us. She is dedicated to working in service to the wild spirit that lives within us all. That's just the short version of Deb's bio and her expertise. Find the link to her website in the show notes for all the details on her varied and impressive career. This was just one of the loveliest interviews we've had uh, recently. I mean, all of them are lovely, but... This it was, was really good. This was a really good one. Yeah. So stay tuned to find out how we can feel more at home in our own skins and in this more than human world. Oh, ooh. hey, Kelly, wait, 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 wait. What? Before we do the checklist and start the episode, we should tell our audience about the new resource. What new resource is that, Charles? I'm trying to be all naturalistic over here. and you're just... <laughs> So the new resource is our how to listen to a podcast page on our website. What? But everyone's listening to this already. Don't they know how to listen to a podcast? They do. Everybody here knows at least one way to listen to a podcast, but there are really four ways to listen. And our new webpage covers all of those different ways to listen so that anybody in the audience can pick the best 
way for them. That's cool. Yeah. The page covers how to use a podcast app on a phone so you can listen while gardening or walking. Also, how and when to download an episode so you can listen in a car or even how to boss your smart speaker around and make it play an episode for you. That sounds like fun. It is. It is. In fact, let's try it out right now. Hey, Alexa, play the latest episode of the Here.Together podcast. Getting a Here.Together podcast from Amazon Music. Here's season one, episode 66, How to Turn a Conversation into Community, featuring Tara Jackson from Arizona Town Hall. So if you want to become a super empowered podcast consumer, go to here-together.us slash how to listen today. In addition to the basics on all the four ways to listen, you'll find tips on how to find more pods to listen to and a list of our favorite and recommended podcasts. And if you know someone who's curious about podcasts, but as clueless about them as Charles was three years ago, hey, or maybe they haven't even heard of a podcast, but you know they would love listening, you could email them or text them a link, or you could sit them down and read the page to them and install the app on their tablet and buy them a Bluetooth transmitter for their 62 Chevy and take them to coffee and push play for them until they get how awesome podcasts are. Sorry. An, inter- an intervention. Sorry. An intervention. And then that link again is here-together.us slash how to listen. Your friend slash mom will thank you. We know this from personal experience. We do. All right, let's complete the checklist. The cats are secured. They are waiting to find out what Deb has to say. Excellent. And the tape is rolling. Check. Caffeine at optimal levels. Check. The microphones are hot. Check. They were a little too hot. There was an odd hum earlier that we had to track down. Yeah, we found it. It was very small. It was a very small hum. That's because we, we track it down because we care about you. Right. And we also don't want Charles to go insane. Yes. All right. Checklist complete. We are here Here together. together. Come on and get settled. Get situated, you. All right, everybody. We're here with Munchie the Cat on the Here Together podcast, getting settled down behind the microphone that is supposedly Kelly's microphone. (laughs) I'm Charles Matthews. I'm Kelly Roberge. And we're here with Deb Matlock, who uh, runs the website wild-rhythms.com. And we're so excited to talk to you, Deb, and, and to learn from your expertise about the kind of the wild human connection. And whether it's wild animals or animals in our home or the wild outdoors or the wild within us, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. I'm really looking forward to chatting. Good, good. You know, and I today I got to tell you, I, I went to your website today and that video, that darn coyote on the homepage, that dog, that wild dog is, it does what coyotes always do to me. They ask me questions that I don't have answers to. I, I've oh, I grown love that. Yeah, I've grown up in the Southwest. I, you know, I grew up in Arizona. I've, I've traveled in, you know, Joshua Tree and, and Death Valley and all the time they're, they're walking across the road or through my campsite or whatever, just looking at me. I don't even know exactly what the question is, but it's definitely one that I don't know the answer to. And yet it <laughs> sticks with me. I can relate. I grew up in Colorado and coyotes were part of my childhood and the landscape. And, and I feel like there's such a, a wildness to them and yet a familiarity 
because they can they can live in so many places. But I've never heard it described like you just did. But that is really beautiful. I I would I could feel that in my heart when you were saying that. You know, they are asking us questions, and and maybe we don't we don't have the ability yet, or you know. But it's those lifelong questions of you know what is it that the coyote knows that I don't. Um, yeah. 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 Really, really fundamental questions like, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? And I felt envious around coyotes before. It's just, I feel like they have such a, an ability to be in their wild selves, but yet in our communities, in our neighborhoods, I've seen pictures of coyotes in Central Park and on the White House lawn. I mean, they can just be everywhere. And yet they just embody this wildness that is so incredibly beautiful. And there's a little bit that I, I have to admit that I feel at times. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that kind of leads into uh, our, oh, yeah. our, our first question, which is, you know, what's your earliest memory of connecting to the more than human world? And, and let me just say for listeners that are new to this phrase, it's, it's one that we've picked up from some other folks, but rather than saying the wild world or the animal world or, or whatever, the just not, not, it's not non-human. It's just more than human. It's just anyway. Yeah. So what's your, what's your earliest memory of connecting to the more than human world? I have to say my earliest memory is the dog that I grew up with. Her name was Jenny and she was a collie, like the classic lassie kind of collie that there aren't so many around anymore, but she was my first best friend. And Hmm. I grew up uh, without in a place where there weren't a lot of kids and she and I hung out day in and day out. She slept in bed with me. You know, she was my primary babysitter. She was, um, you know, playmate, but also, also kind of the wise, the wiser of the two of us for sure. Cause here I was this little, you know, <laughs> um, toddler, but I, I think I, you know, I, I really credit that time and my relationship with her with, with really forming who I am today and the passions I have. And I think about that and, you know, the connection, I didn't even think of her as something you know, a different species than myself. You know, I was a little kid. She was a dog. We were hanging out all day long. My mother has stories of us, you know, having little spats and curling up together, just like siblings, you know. I I think I got older before I realized, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a human and she's a dog and our worlds are different. Wow. Wow. What a great, what a great story. What a great memory. Yeah. She's, she's still in my heart. I still dream about her sometimes, you know, it's all these years later, decades later, I, I still, uh, I have a house full of animals now and I, I, I credit slash blame her for all of that. So <laughs> yeah, they never really leave us, do they? No. And she formed so much of who I am that to, to be here in any way without recognizing her would be, you know, kind of um, ignoring a major foundational piece of uh, my identity development and me coming into understanding what it means to be human in a world that is full of species that are not all human. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think I was going to share this later, but I think I'll I'll talk a little bit about Santo the the cat. Aww, um, Santo. Santo Santo was still alive when when Kelly and I finally got together after 23 years of missing each other back and forth. But that's a whole another whole story. So Santo was a was a belonged to a, a, a person that I was in a relationship with, and then I kind of inherited him, and he was a tuxedo cat who was pretty skittish and. Um, just kind of judgmental of people. He, yeah. didn't th- he didn't think people were all that great. He thought he thought uh, he thought Evergreen, uh, the the woman I was in a relationship, was okay. And over time, 
you know, I, I don't know if I won him over or he, he learned, he learned to trust me. And that, that lengthy, the, the patience that it took for him to, for me to wait for him to trust me mm-hmm. made me a better person and made me believe in my own trustworthiness and made me committed to being that guy that Santo could trust. And so I, I kind of feel like I learned to be somebody who could be in relationship with humans by opening myself and to, again to that to that patience, like just refusing to let his disdain and and, and uh, judgment um, put me off for very long, and to go at his pace and to to be aware of how I was treating him, how I was yeah, being respecting around him. him. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm I'm the man I am today because of because of Santo. Mm. Well, and I love you bringing up the the patience piece too. I think that's so important when we're talking about animal companions and building our relationship. I find myself so often saying to folks I'm working with, "Slow down a little bit." You know, you just adopted this dog or this cat. It's been it's been three weeks. That you know, everything is still brand new for this little one, and you know, just because the neighbor's dog goes for a nice jog around the block, it doesn't mean. That that you won't get there maybe but it is that patience and that respect like like what kelly said that just sort of we're in this relationship it's not about a hierarchy or or this is going to you're going to be the cat that i want you to be it's more about who are you like the coyote question right right who are you and how can we be here together such an important piece yeah that patience piece and i don't think kelly would have fallen in love with me if she hadn't seen how i was around around santo yeah i'm sure that's true I'm sure. No, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about this either, but coming up against the personalities, I've had a whole bunch of cats in my life and one dog and that didn't go well. But coming up against the personalities and what they wanted and, you know, the times that I failed them in different ways, definitely that's been a huge contribution to me growing up as well. And me being a person who can, you know, show up for other humans and other four leggeds as well. Wow. We're already having therapy. Yeah. I think that's it for the podcast. Thanks so much, everybody for joining us. Uh, no, no, th- but really thank you all for joining us. And, and hopefully, hopefully this conversation is is stirring up memories for our listeners and our audience about, about the animals in their lives and whether there's, you know, regrets or successes or, or relationships or broken relationships, whatever it is. I love the story of, you know, you having a spat with your dog and then, and then (laughs) making up and curling up. We usually ask our guests what they wanted to be when they were 10 ish years old, but we kind of are curious what animal you wanted to be when you were 10 years old. Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, when I was 10, I was a child in Colorado, landlocked Colorado, and I had this amazing fascination with whales. And so much so that I had grandparents living on the coast and I, for my 12th birthday, I was able to go out and visit and go whale watching. And I wanted to be a whale. I wanted to know what is it like in the ocean underneath the water in a place where as a human, I couldn't even imagine. You know, and I, I remember Jacques Cousteau, the television show. I grew up, I think it was Sunday nights or something. I wouldn't miss the show. And it was always out on the boat in the water. And it was like a romantic world for a kid who was growing up in the Rocky Mountains, which was incredible. I, definitely not saying that was a bad thing, but it was just such a different reality. And I got to be honest, I'm still, you know, what would it feel like to be able to 
go like a whale underwater, stay under there for 45 minutes, an hour, and live in these depths. And oh, it just fascinates me. It is a, it is a completely different world, and they get to they get to sort of be in both. They can come up into the air and and fly around briefly, flash <laughs> <laughs> back in, and yeah, I just am in awe, completely in awe. Is it too much of a stretch, Deb, to make a parallel between that? Between what whales do and what you do as an animal communicator, that you oh, go that you go into the into the the dark, mysterious places that most of us don't go, but you still have to come up for air. Is that is that too much of a stretch? I love that metaphor. I've literally never thought of that before. <laughs> Careful, I may have to write that up somehow. Um, it's all yours. Interesting, because I think when we when we talk about this the spiritual interface, which is what I think of as animal communication, I really think about connecting on a spirit level, whether it's the animals in our home or wild nature, you know, beings in nature. It is a depth. Although I will say this might be the difference that I think this is accessible to all of us if we're interested in, in whatever unique way we might do this. Whereas living under the ocean, I don't feel necessarily like I would be very successful at that unless I had all the fancy apparatus and gear to do it. You know, but it is a depth and it is a place where we have to go in and, and be kind of open to what that unknown is and, and the mystery of where it might take us. Sometimes animal communication can go to some pretty crazy places that, you know, we start out maybe, for example, someone talking about dog behavior or helping a recently adopted cat kind of settle in. And, you know, it can go into these places that are very deep for the cat and the person that is really fascinating. So, oh, I love that metaphor. Yeah. Um, and is there, do you have a, do you have a story to, to share about something like that, either working with a domestic, you know, animal partnership or, or a wild partnership that, that kind of can help explain what it is that you do? Yeah, let me think. So the, the domestic partnership work with the companion animals is interesting because a lot of times people will come to that work a lot of times because they're having some kind of a concern or question I do have some clients that they just sort of like to do that on a regular basis, just as a check-in. But I really love also helping people learn how to do it themselves too, because I think it's, a, you know, that's a beautiful part of a relationship. But I had one time where a woman was worried her dog seemed anxious. And so, okay, we, you know, they'd worked with the, checked with the vet. There wasn't a health issue, which I think is a really important thing that needs to happen first is let's, let's be earth related here and let's go make sure that somebody isn't, you know, uh, and we started kind of going into the session and I thought, okay, maybe this is a behavioral thing. We, we can look for some training support, you know, but what really came up, this dog went right into the, the person and her stress and what she was dealing with. And it quickly switched. This was a specific session, but it quickly switched into supporting her and the dog's whole focus was helping her. She had just had a, a big thing at work or, you know, I don't remember all the details, but I was just, I left that session with my heart just exploding because I really realized that our companion animals so often, you know, they're as concerned for us as we are for them in various ways. And this was just, it was beautiful because here this dog was really like, you tell us whatever you want. You know, we're looking and the dog's like, oh no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm worried about her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and luckily the person was open to that and not everybody wants to go into that kind of thing, but you know, that's, and she, she really wrote, I guess it was two weeks later, she wrote me an email and said, this was so helpful. I just, I felt like I hadn't been seen. Hmm. You know, and I, I was going through all this stuff and, and no human in my life was noticing this. And it just was like, oh my gosh, but your dog sure was. 
Wow. And it also helped her dog's anxiety because, of course, then she started to realize, okay, we need to get out together and do relaxing things and um, just humble. It humbles me the moments like that where I realize we we really need to look at our animal companions in, as, as who they are, individual beings with really profound spirits and so mm. much wisdom. And they often are the ones that see us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So. I love us anyway. Yeah. I love us anyway. I love well, us and I can imagine that people might be more motivated to clean up their own issues if it's affecting their their animal friends than if they didn't have someone depending on them emotionally like that or interacting with them emotionally like that. It's like if it's just my problem, like, okay, I'm just not going to go to therapy or I'm not going to do whatever or not going to exercise. But my dog is freaking out. So I better take care of myself so that that dog can relax and be okay. Like we'll do stuff for other people that we won't necessarily do for ourselves. Do you, do you see that happening? You know, I definitely do. And I'll, and I'll even own it. I think it, I feel that in myself. I've got one of my dogs especially is very sensitive and she's a border collie mix and we've been together 13 years and I can't even kind of have a bad mood without her looking at me like, wait, what's going on? You know, and what I see is how much of an impact it has on her. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm like, it's okay. I'm everything is fine. But it really is a reflection to me to say, okay, let's, is this energy I really want to go into? If so, do I need to go drive around the block so I can spare her? You know, but it's it's beautiful, and at the same time, I love what you're you're bringing up. It's like also it's kind of a responsibility because we bring them into our homes. They they are kind of stuck with us. We do our best. Hopefully, most of us do our best to give them a really lovely life. But they also they also have to be with us. Yeah. They can't go drive around the block. Right, right. <laughs> so we've got these two cats who, and one that, that we've just uh, brought into the home. And, you know, we're kind of struggling and I'm already thinking differently mm -hmm. about just my own attitude toward, toward Clyde, who's the one who's kind of, who's kind of struggling. And, um, but, but we're going to kind of wait till later and we'll kind of, kind of tease the audience with this, but we're going to wait till later to, to see if you wouldn't be willing to, to maybe bounce some ideas around. But, um, before we get to that, just, you know, we've, you've kind of referred to what you do and that you you were actually kind of communicating with this, with this dog, this person, this client's dog to get some information. And you know, I don't know how many people are familiar with that way of doing therapy or counseling or coaching, but you call it a shamanic practice, right? Can you, can you describe what a shamanic practice is, or at least what your shamanic practice is? Yeah, I, I call it shamanic style animal communication. And I also do work for people. And I, I use that phrase carefully. It's, it's a loaded word. It, it comes from some dark places. It's, it's one of those words that is kind of become universalized with interfacing with the spirit world, but it also needs to be recognized that it, you know, my understanding is it first came from anthropologists studying, you know, actual medicine people in Mongolia or Siberia, mm. you know, and it wasn't used in a reverent way. And then mm. it's kind of moved across the, the earth and gotten co-opted in different settings and all these things. It's, it's crazy word, but I also tried to not use it for a while and nobody knew what I was talking about. So, <laughs> so I say shamanic style and what that means to me is bridging with the world of spirit. So whether that's our spirit helpers, the spirit of our animal companions, you know, the rivers, the mountains, the natural world, that is a, a huge passion of mine. 
is is kind of looking at this world as animate and sentient and and that we are just one part of this web you know and it doesn't make any sense when we think of it that way that we would be the only species that had this dialogic capacity it actually makes more sense that we kind of came up together and evolved together and that our ability to communicate and connect with all of life is is part of what makes us human and you know in fact um david abrams wrote a book called the spell of the sensuous which talks about where our language actually comes from sort of this animist view that we are only able to communicate because we were in these deep connections and having these dialogues so in my mind the shamanic style work is that spirit connection and so i love what i love about that work is there's a lot of ways to do it there's no one right way and i work with folks and have for years and there's as many ways to have, you know, communication with nature, connection to the spirit world as there are people. And so I think it's really important to also note that this is accessible to anybody. It's a multicultural practice. You can look at the dawn of humanity across the world, different cultures. People were doing this in, in certain ways. It's, it's definitely not uh, one place, one time kind of work. And when we look at it that way and we look for our own unique way of doing it, and our own unique connections to the wildness around us, we're going to find our own our own ways that don't steal from other people and other cultures. Mm. We're going to find what's really organic as individuals, you know, in our places with our relationships. So you got me all excited about this topic. But yeah, that's kind of, <laughs> I don't know if that even answered the question you asked, but I hope it did. <laughs> yeah, I think it did. And, and, you know, just Kelly and I were talking about this before the podcast, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like a skeptical spiritualist. I get really important information from rocks and trees and but i don't really believe that they're animate but i i certainly i don't discount the information like wow that was really that's awesome thanks great i have no idea what just happened there and i don't i don't really go around believing that all of the rocks are animate all the time because that would make me a little crazy but my experience is i just i guess i have a very empirical very felt very anecdotal experience of exactly that like my world is my inner world is known and seen by apparently rocks and trees <sighs> that's beautiful because i i love that you mentioned the skeptical part because i i actually don't know many people more skeptical than i am personally and i think it's really important because then we really let our experiences teach us we really let the opportunities and we then that rational part of our mind that's skeptical is also going to say but wait a minute i need to honor that this is happening like you just said i feel I, i'm getting information i'm feeling you know seen in some way okay cool well it's a mystery we can't explain a lot of things you know i i definitely would be lying if i said i know without question that this is exactly how all of this works i mean that would just be ridiculous right so you know, there's a big mystery that we're dancing with, and I think it requires a healthy skepticism balanced with this healthy openness. Hmm. hmm. What are you thinking <laughs> over there? What are you thinking over there, Kelly? You got Munchie on your lap, and and you count yourself as an indoor cat. You don't go outside much. That's not true. You go outside even more than I do now. Right, but I don't go far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I I think I'm an animist from way back. I mean, the the idea. You know, so many people say animals don't have feelings or they don't have personalities or they don't, you know, I've known so many animals and every single cat I've ever had has been totally different from every other cat. They have, they have depths and yeah. they have personalities and they have things that they love and things that they hate and 
you know, they're complex beings and I will talk to rocks and trees just as much as, you know, I talk to pencils, I talk to, I talk to anything and everything. Um, and I think part of that comes from being an artist that, and just being in relationship with shapes and colors and patterns and textures and being willing to be in dialogue with pretty much anything that, that catches my attention. Yeah. And I don't know, I'm getting less woo woo as I get older, but I'm still open to the fact that we get guidance from whatever we pay attention to. Mm -hmm. It may or may not actually be speaking, but if we're paying attention to something, we can learn something important about ourselves or about the world. Yeah, that's a, a great openness, the way you describe that, you know, and I think that's one of the things that is important for all of us to do is figure out where is our openness where can we feel comfortable and authentic with it? Because if we're pushing past that too quickly or to a place that we're just not going to be able to get our minds, we're going to miss out on the on the place that is the sweet spot. And if we're so cynical about all of it that we're not open to any of it, then we're also going to miss out on that sweet spot. So just sort of letting it be that fluid relationship and, and changing with us. And then just knowing that there's there's more mysteries to solve than there are answers. <laughs> So, I mean, I love that comforts me to think that there's a whole lot that we don't understand. Thank goodness. Yeah, it stays interesting. If we knew everything, how boring would that be? Yeah, and there would be no possibilities. So, mm. yeah. I'm with you on that. Well, let's take a pause with that. Let's yeah. take a pause with that question of where are you open? Mm. What are you paying attention to? How do you feel about the mysteries? How do you feel about the mysteries? It, yeah. It's a little daunting to think that there are more mysteries than I'll ever have answers to, but the older I get and the more secure I get in my ignorance, the better mm -hmm. I feel about that. We'll be right back with more of the Here Together podcast with Deb Matlock. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this point. I really hope you are enjoying this episode. I don't know if enjoying is the right word. I hope that you're feeling as, as kind of opened up and expansive and curious as we did while we were recording it. And then again, while I was editing it, editing it, editing it, that's yeah. a lot of different sounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for more content like this, more inspiring content like this around the natural world and how we can connect, be sure to check out episode 55, How Not to Know, Balancing Contemplation and Action with Pete Pearson, or go all the way back to episode 11. The episode is called Facilitator of the Inevitable with our friend ecotherapist Adam Veltura. Both of those are in the kind of the same vein, kind of open your mind, open your heart a little bit. So go check those out. Before we get back to the episode, we should also do the science. Report. So each week we get our guest to give us a science challenge, an experiment to try for a week to see if our life changes. And we're taking those on more seriously. We're talking about them in Facebook. We're reminding everybody to get back to us with your science report. but. It's my turn to do this, to give my science report. So Kelly's going to facilitate though. Okay. Well, last week's science challenge was given to us by Tara Jackson, and it was in two parts. Part one was about building slash rebuilding community by conversing, by being brave enough to converse with a person who has different views and have the fortitude to only ask open-ended questions, not try to argue or convince or you know, 
Brow mess beat. with them. Yeah, don't just just find out what it's like to be them. Uh, how'd that go, Charles? So I am working on it. I did have an opportunity to have a conversation with somebody who had differing views. I didn't do a great job. I did not ask open-ended questions. I got my hackles up, and mm. it was just over a. It was just over a kind of a little difference in how to interpret where masculinity is at. Right. You guys weren't even on like polar opposites or no, anything. No, we can totally be allies for And I did mess up. I didn't I didn't do it well. But out of the grace of this other person, I have another chance. We're going to do a podcast interview together on his podcast. Ooh. And even though I'm going to be the one being interviewed, I'm going to ask some open ended questions. And you can hear more about how that all went down uh, in the live video that we posted to Facebook this weekend in the Here, Com Here Together Community Lab and on the Rocket Feather creative page so you can hear more about how I messed up because, you know, that's what everybody's here for is to find out why and how Charles is wrong. <laughs> I enjoy that anyway. <laughs> Well, the second part of the Tara Jackson science was to focus on exhaling slowly and steadily and completely. How's your breathing, husband? You know, I've struggled with mindfulness and meditation my whole life. I'm usually not patient enough to quote unquote do it. But I'm really grateful for the science challenge that Tara gave me. I've been I've been using that that steady, complete exhale to anytime I feel anxious about my relationship with food and appetite as I work to lose weight. And again, I talk more about it on the Facebook Live video and you can check it out there. It's uh, it's slow. The, the process is slow and steady as well as right. the exhales right. are. Right? It's just like, uh. it doesn't happen overnight, but... Plus, it just kind of feels good. It does. So we want to invite all of you to join us on these weekly science challenges and to report on your results by joining the Here Together Community Lab on Facebook and posting a comment there. Uh, we're going to be doing a live every Saturday morning to midday somewhere and yep. checking in with our science report. And we would love to hear how you're doing. We're really confident that the, the collective expertise of all of our guests, as well as the collective experimentation and engagement of all of our audience can create something individually meaningful and changeable and maybe collectively something really mm -hmm. powerful. Culture is changing. Let's do it. Yeah. Ooh, I love it. Now back to part two of the conversation with Deb Matlock in which your beloved hosts are made to cry just a little. Yeah. And welcome back to the Here Together podcast. We are here with Deb Matlock. And Deb, I was really curious, as humans, what are we missing when we're cut off from the more than human world? What a great question. I could think of a thousand ways to answer that. What's coming to mind first is we're missing the chance to realize that we are living on a planet with multiple perspectives, multiple voices. We are not the center of it. You know, as humans, we are not all that all the time. And I think when we can really embrace the possibility of these deep connections, seeing the tree as an individual, knowing our dog as an individual, 
seeing ourselves as part of a web, it, it, it naturally decenters us a little bit. It naturally brings in a humbleness of, of being, which I think is really an important balance to all the amazing things that we can do as humans with our highly developed, you know, cerebral cortex and all of the art and the ingenuity and innovation. And we just also need to come back to earth and, and be part of the larger whole. So I think it's a perspective piece that we miss out on, which is a tragedy to miss out on. Mm. You know, when you were speaking, I, I thought, you know, humans have a hard enough time imagining what other humans perspective is like. Like, we're really kind of crap at that. (laughs) Do you have any, have you worked with people enough to have an idea of what makes it possible for humans to make that shift into being open to other perspectives that are are non-human? Or just non-me. Yeah, no, well, there's the (laughs) non-me, I mean, and, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to hush now. <laughs> oh, no, that I love that. <laughs> you know, I think it, it comes from a few different places. I think there's a, a couple things. One is, is knowing that compassion and empathy, I think, are natural ways of being. And I think if we allow those to be in ourselves and we don't poo-poo them, you know, we, we hear the, the, the birds in the tree sound upset. Like, oh, okay, well, whatever. But instead say, wait a minute, I'm really noticing this and that's not how it normally sounds. And oh, wait a minute, when I look, I see that there's a cat at the bottom of this tree. And that's why there, then we start to see that, that there is this ability to take perspective, we start to pay more attention. So I think compassion and empathy are foundational pieces of that. And, and also, I think the more we do that with each other and with non-humans, the more we can do it with each other and non-humans. So you know, if we if we start to feel compassion and empathy for the birds in the tree, do we start to see life as a wider, defining it wider? Do we start to see community as more than us and our neighbors or us and our workplace? Do we start to expand our, our comprehension of what life is? But I think that compassion and empathy are natural. And I think we just have to support that in ourselves and the children at school, kids, school, you know, like yeah. it just, it's got to be okay to feel. Yeah. It's just got to be okay. Yeah. Okay, I got another whammy for you. Before 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 you do that whammy though, I just mm-hmm. I just want to reflect a little bit on that. It's like what we're talking about is a big trade-off, right? It's and it's it's the trade-off of the that the western world has been struggling with for for thousands of years. Yeah. Like to de you called it decentering. And yeah. I'm guessing I mean, we, we can only speculate about what it was like to live in a tribal culture and to imagine that maybe individuality was less centered. Um that there was less ego strength me. less me mm-hmm. um and the and the, the the idea of like putting down my me especially as a white guy like I, i'm working really hard at maintaining this me um right. to put that down but the 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 gift is not being alone anymore mm. yeah that's that is exactly it because we can't be you know it's if, if we're looking at the world as animate and as as relationships abounding all around us you know, it's the ants and the crack in the sidewalk outside the front door are, can be living parts of our community, then, then exactly that loneliness piece. And it's interesting you bring that up this last year with the pandemic, I've seen more people kind of craving that, you know, there is so much life within the, the barriers of our social distancing between humans. I actually wrote a blog on this early. It was like so much life in that six feet 
barrier distance, you know, because it really is. It's not that we're socially distancing. We're just distancing from humans. But there's, there's a lot of life that we can be very close to still. And I've seen people's yearning and desire to kind of get to know that wild nature wherever they live because they're at home now. And it's kind of a a silver lining, if you will. I'm not suggesting we need to, to create another pandemic, but finding the silver linings is important, I think. And I think that's one of them. That's great. We were just talking to to Charlotte Clues, who she and her daughter are about to embark on a south to north traverse of Arizona on the Arizona Trail. I think they're taking two months to hike the whole thing, nice. 800 miles. And mm. they were talking about how you can't buy camping gear anywhere in the United States right now because every because that's <laughs> Everybody's trying to figure out a way to be outside and safe from the pandemic. And, and yeah, hopefully they're, hopefully they're finding themselves open to talking to the trees and the Jays. I mean, the Jays are going to talk to you no matter what. Right. So right. you might as, you might as well listen to them. <laughs> That's right. And if you don't, they're going to show up right in your face and make sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually have a story that perfectly illustrates what you're saying about the, uh, the birds. One morning I, I was eating breakfast and heard the ravens going bananas. And I was like, what is going on with them? And I went to the window and looked out and there was a bobcat in our yard, walking through our yard. And so I, you know, ran from window to window, looking out, watching him just saunter through like, you know, it's his kingdom. And it was so fun and exciting to see him. And if I had not been tuned into the Ravens, I would have missed it entirely. Exactly. That is such a great example of of why one of the reasons why it's so important is because the the wild world is going to help us not miss things. And so will our companion animals. I mean, I've seen amazing wildlife and, you know, frozen leaves with like a lace on the edges from ice that are first thing in the morning. I would not be walking that early if my dogs didn't need to go out. And it's gorgeous. I was like, thank you for making me get up and get geared up and get outside because I didn't want to miss that. But I sure as heck was not going to motivate myself to go out on a 15 degree morning. (laughs) No doubt. Did you you have another follow-up question? Yeah, my whammy question is kind of the inverse. For for those of us who are very um, empathetic and and dialed in to the the tiny voices and the many voices out in the world, I'll speak for myself, it's really painful for me. I don't like even killing bugs and I don't. It was painful for me to see our neighborhood fill in with houses and and see all the habitat destroyed where all the the quail and the bunnies and the you know we I saw mountain lion walk through I we've seen you know I know the the coyotes will be fine but you know everyone else was losing their homes yeah. and that is palpably painful for me and I know a lot of people feel that way and I know the answer is to become more sensitive but the more sensitive you become and the more empathetic you become the more pain you suffer when you see our our four-leggeds and and winged brothers and sisters being thrown out of their homes and killed by traffic or hunters or whatever. No, that's a, a really valid point. And I think there's a lot of a lot of ground there. You know, the, I've heard it described as, you know, the the despair of loving the earth. 
you know, of the wall of green that we kind of come up to and then we, we have to kind of confront our grief and be able to sort of move through to the, the other side of it in a way. But the only answer I found for myself, because I can relate to that 100% in my teens and 20s, I, it was a really difficult time because I thought, I don't know that I even want to be a human. I had to find the beauty of what humans can do, the beauty of us when we live from our hearts and our souls. And then I also had to find some, some faith in the mystery because I, I had to say, okay, I see and feel what I see and feel, but I also have to know that there's more, there's more going on. There's a reason we have yearnings in our hearts, you know, okay, all I can do is follow that. All I can do is say, I hope on some level, the work I do has some impact, probably not going to see it in my lifetime, but I have to have faith that there's a reason that we're all here. There's a, a way we can contribute. And, um, you know, th that it would be just as egotistical to say there's nothing and it's all horrible as it is to say, eh, I'm, I got this figured out, you know, like there's that place in the middle, that sweet spot again. Uh, but to say that, that there is not heartbreak with a path of sensitivity and compassion, but it's knowing that there's also power in that sensitivity and compassion that we can act from that place of empowerment mm. and say, all right, this is really painful and I'm going to rock and roll right here and do what I can <sighs> and maybe cry later, maybe right. go home and cry, probably <laughs> go home and cry. But I know I can do this. I know my heart is strong enough and I know I need to be strong enough. Mm. God, that's beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm, Thank I'm, you for I'm, that, Deb. I'm crying right now, Deb. Mm. I'm, I'm leaking right now because <sighs> that's where we are. That's where we are. Those of us who are yeah. brave enough to to be compassionate and empathetic and open. Yeah. Um, that's that's the cost and the and the beauty. I mean, part of it also is just like, oh my God, thank God I'm open. Thank God I'm with somebody else who's mm. who's compassionate and open. Thank God Deb is out there being yeah. scared and brokenhearted too. Yeah, and knowing that our hearts are are stronger, I think, than we give them credit for. I know my own heart has amazed me. When it's like, I can't survive this. I can't. And it's like, oh, wait a minute, but I did. Yeah. And I think Guess if we all what? look in our hearts and say, all right, you are really strong and we can do this. <laughs> we can do this earth thing and we can contribute and we can find our way of, of making something better. Mm. Whether it's one life or whether it's, you know, I don't think scale is as important as it, as it is that we follow our heart. Because I think putting scale on it is also part of our ego saying, well, it's more important to do this big act over here than it is to save this one kitten in the back alley of my apartment building. You know, it might not be. We don't know. Yeah, that's that's a, a hubris to to think that we know what it is that we're here for. Hmm. Exactly. And instead, just letting our heart, you know, like somebody's passion is, is making a, a garden for pollinators and their tiny little plot of land. Wow, that could have a ripple effect that is impossible for us to digest even. And, and who's to say that's not incredibly important? And somebody else's path might be to speak in front of thousands and, you know, become president. I mean, you know, who knows, right? But it's, it's we've just got to trust our hearts. Mm, I love that. Yeah. That makes me really happy. Yeah, let's take another break and uh, let that sink in for everybody. And we'll be right back with more Deb Matlock from Wild Rhythms. <sighs> Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Thank you for being with us here in this journey of knowledge and discovery. Mm -hmm. 
Every dang week, you get fascinating information on our guests' background and related topics in our show notes. This week, you'll find links to all of Deb's writing and services and to her social media groups. I joined her Wild Rhythms Facebook group, and I'm really enjoying the content there. Oh, cool. I didn't even think about that. I got to do that, too. In the show notes, you will also find key takeaways from the episode, a reminder about Deb's science challenge, and links to books and other resources for taking a deeper dive into the topic of animism, nature connection, etc. You can always find the show notes for the latest episode at here-together.us slash pod or go to here-together.us slash library for show notes for our full catalog of episodes. Or just go to here-together.us and kind of poke around. You'll find what you're looking for and then some. Okay, now back to hear Deb's version for a more connected life and to get the science challenge that might help you get more connected too. back everybody to the here together podcast with deb matlock of wild rhythms and she is here talking to us about the human relationship to the wild the wild relationship to the human and she made me cry in the middle section that's how you know it's the here together podcast yeah <laughs> somebody's yeah. crying yeah i leaked i leaked <laughs> but uh just to back up and and Oh, that, with that big thump was just Munchie hitting the floor. Had enough lap. The podcast had enough lap. And this is another big question. And I'm I'm really excited to ask you this because you've got a you've got a big head and a big heart for this. <laughs> just Deb, what do animals need from us? What do they want us to know? And not domestic animals, wild animals, the greater than human world. What do they what do they need from us? What do they what do they want us to know? Oh my gosh, what a beautiful question. You know, and I I I can hypothesize. That part of it is I think they want us to realize we are one of them. And I realized by saying that I could offend certain religions, certain groups, people, but but biologically, we are an animal too. And I think if we see ourselves, we all need the same things. We need, you know, food, water, shelter, space. We, we're not different. You know, I work with dog behavior and I work with humans. And honestly, we're just not that different. I, I have to say. So it's it's one of those things where if we could see ourselves as as one, not in the woo-woo way of one, but in the we are all the same, and then allow ourselves to, to not only um, see that, but also then to have the, not be so afraid of anthropomorphizing. I think we've been kind of, we've been told no, no, no. And I think we do need to realize that we don't want to project ourselves, but I mean, come on, we know enough now to know that like, like what Kelly was saying earlier, animals have feelings, they grieve, they have happy, they have joy. I mean, enough already with the fact that we aren't that similar. So I think if if we knew that, how would we live differently on this planet with all the other beings here? So I don't know. That would be the first thing that comes to mind with that question. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'll share the story. Um, I used to, part of my job, job working with folks in recovery for a while was just to drive the clients to the equine therapy farm out in a little bit outside of town. And I didn't, I didn't do the equine therapy, but I just drove them out there and kind of watched. And, uh, there was a new horse that had been brought into the herd who was a very big 17, 18 hand, uh, uh, gelding, big black wow. horse, huge and powerful and not settled. And he had to be in his own paddock and he wasn't doing therapy with the clients at all. He wasn't ready for that. Right. 
And we also had a client once, I'll call him Ted, who uh, had been a Marine and had seen some action and had some fairly significant PTSD, which is what led to his drinking and, and addiction. And he wasn't doing well in the, in the center until he came out and got out of the van and he saw Destino. I can tell you the real name of the horse. Uh, he saw Destino wow. and Destino saw Ted and it was, there was nothing, nothing to separate the two of them. And fortunately the, the equine therapist recognized that right away. And she just designed a separate program for Ted and Destino. And I don't know if Ted, I don't know if Ted ever got in the paddock with Destino, but basically Ted's job was to go tell Destino about his trauma and Destino to tell Ted about his trauma because Destino had been in a not great place before he ended up on this equine farm. And so they healed each other. Um, I, I hope Ted is doing really well. I know that Destino became a calmer, um, more confident horse and was able to, was able to do work with other clients, uh, in the years following that. But yeah, the two of them were just, they had the same experiences. They were not, they were not different. And their response to that trauma was not different. I mean, Destino wasn't an alcoholic, but he was not, he was acting out just like Ted was. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, they, they saw that in one another right away. Yeah. So we just evened out the playing field because you, you brought tears to my eyes now. So <laughs> that's a beautiful story. And I, I think that's a perfect example, a perfect example. And when we're interacting with the animals that we interact with, keeping that in mind that what their experiences are just not, you know, we go through that, that loss, that train, that trauma, you know, abuse, all of those things, you know, we, we aren't, we aren't that different. Yeah. 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 And that, you know, and like you, you, you know, you kind of made a little caveat at the beginning of that, like it might offend some religious traditions and it's, you know, a lot of folks have over thousands of years, a lot of humans have depended on this idea of being separate as a way to feel right. special, secure, yeah. better than, better than make sense of the mystery of it all. I yeah. mean, cause that's the other thing. It's hard to live. We take life, whether we're vegetarian or not, Yeah, you know, we're eating plants, we're eating animals, you know, we cannot live without that reciprocation in some way. And it's hard. It is hard to, I, at least I can say for myself, it is hard to marry that in my heart and, and continue. And so, it, you know, of course it makes sense that we, we create ways to try to make, you know, make things okay that are difficult on that empathetic part of us. But uh, so, wow. So we had to, we had to set ourselves apart just to make it okay to eat them. I wonder, you know, mm -hmm. I wonder, it fascinates me because I, I have met so many people, myself included, that there are so many conflicts with trying to figure out how to live, you know, how to be sustainable, how to be environmental, how to be humane, how to be all of these things. And knowing the complexity of all of that, you know, it, it takes, it, it's like that strength you were talking about earlier. It, it's just that strength to let our heart be open and be aware and also be realistic. And oh my gosh. You know, the earth walk is, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's good work though. It is good work. Also just, I want to put in a plug for, I can't, we can't get lab grown burgers fast enough as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> apparently, apparently they've, they've 3d printed a, a ribeye steak. Oh my. oh my gosh. I saw a picture of it go by on my, my Twitter feed or Facebook feed or something. Oh my gosh. Awesome. Right. But, and you know, that's wow. an easy way out for sure. But yeah, how do we, it, it won't, you know, lab grown meat won't change just the difficulty. You know, we walk yeah. on, we crush ants when we don't even know it and, you right. know, 
uh, you know, every time we need to build something with wood, we have to, we have to cut down a tree. It's, it's, uh, and it won't be solved. And that's one of the things that I've kind of sort of grown into as a human is just being able to hold the, yeah, there's no, as you say, there's no answer to the mystery. Yeah. And that's, I agree. Like as one of the ways I've had to work with that for myself is to say, okay, then I'm going to live with an open heart and try to do as much good as I can, because I know that that has value too. And I'm going to eat this salad and I'm going to have that wood on my house and I'm going to, you know, but, but I think awareness is the key, you know, just not taking for granted what it, what it takes for us to be here and then giving back in whatever ways that we can. And also mm. gratitude, giving gratitude yeah. to, you know, the plants and animals that feed us and the, the, you know, the trees that give the wood and all of that. And some cultures are very good about knowing where everything comes from and, and actually offering gratitude when that it happens. Yeah, um, good point. Yeah. Wow. I'm curious, Deb, if you have a vision of a world in which we are all attuned to animals and to each other. Boy, yeah, I definitely, I do, you know, and I think that the vision may be a little idealistic and I think that it's good to have idealistic visions because then it propels us to, to, to find the pieces of that that we can work towards. But I would love to see a world like what you were just describing, where we are living in awareness with, with the gratitude, with the compassion, with the empathy, and, and knowing that we are taking and giving life reciprocally and being very conscious about what we do take. And, you know, do I need this thing right now? You know, am I craving this particular food or not? You know, like really being in such a deep, deep connection that we can, can live with that awareness in a way that, that doesn't allow for any possible imagination of separation from the, the wildness around us, the natural world around us. And, and within that, we also have to see ourselves as one of the, one of the group. And that is super idealistic. I am not about to lie about that, but I think that, that, that holding that vision allows us to take steps to pieces of that vision. And, and those steps are important. That journey, I think, is really important, you know, more so in some cases than, than a destination. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's that conscious, heartfelt, compassionate journey. Yeah. Are we always moving in that direction? Exactly. That's a great way to say it. Yeah. Are, are we just going to keep that trajectory going or as even best we can? Yeah, or even if we're doing a cha-cha, we're mostly moving in that direction. <laughs> yeah, because we're fallible. We're gonna, we're gonna definitely. There are those moments where we we have to make choices for whatever reason, or we we're forget, standing, or, or we, we get scared, it's, or yeah, exactly. You know, but if we can bring ourselves back to the awareness that is what our heart is telling us and what our you know soul is asking for, then you know we just keep moving forward and hopefully. <laughs> hopefully leave things a little better off than, than we found them. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, Deb, thank mm. you so much for being with us before we ask you the, the last question, before we ask you about your science, um, how can people find you? How do you, how do you want people to find you? What would you, and, and who, and who do you want yeah, finding exactly. you? Uh, are you looking for <laughs> folks, uh, with, uh, zoom calls about their cats? Um, <laughs> you've got some, you've got some classes, uh, and, and workshops coming up, right? Yeah, I, I do virtual and in-person workshops around sacred nature connection and deepening our connection to wild nature. And I do animal communication work. And then I also do shamanic style journey work with people. 
and then, you know, helping people to develop those skills for themselves. It, it all in my mind fits under one umbrella, but people have different interests. And, you know, probably the easiest way to connect would be to check out my website. And from there, people can contact me, sign up for my newsletter. And I'm always happy to connect with people, you know, if they want to have questions about any of that work. I always want to talk to people before they commit to anything, if it's new to them, because I want to make sure it's a good fit just before people put their time and money into something. There's a lot of ways to connect and build relationship and my way may or may not resonate. So um, I'm always welcoming conversation, but my website is wild-rhythms.com. And from there, people can take the journey into social media or wherever they want to go. <laughs> so like I said, that, that coyote on the homepage, uh, you know, I, I got healing just <laughs> watching the coyote. So thank you for that. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love hearing that. <laughs> yeah. And you're able to, you're able to do some of the, uh, some of the work, at least uh, remotely, right? Some of the work that you do with clients. Yeah, quite a lot. Actually, the animal sessions and the, the sessions with human, the spiritual work with humans is, is pretty much remote. And then this last year I've, it's been lovely to see a lot of the workshops have been able to translate into zoom with people going out into their communities and then us coming back together. And, and honestly, I'm going to keep doing that even when we can open back up because I've, I really enjoy connecting with my audience, some of whom are not local and, and also having them share with each other. It's been really fun to have people in California and Canada and England and, you know, all just sharing what's going on in their wild places. Uh, you know, it's a richness that, I will definitely continue. Yeah, I can imagine. Can you imagine the energy in a, oh, in a, yeah. in a, in a Deb Matlock facilitated so discussion? Oh, it's Facilitated fun. workshop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I was so great. nervous. I was so nervous last April when I, I did the first one. I thought, oh, my gosh, this could be epic fail or this, you know, but after that, I was sold. It was really fun. People really came to the table ready to connect and, you know, interact, but also go out into their own places. And so, yeah. Great. So wild-rhythms.com. And we'll put all of that good stuff in the show notes so yeah. people can just awesome. go and click. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thank you. So Deb, do you have a science for us? I do. I would love to invite people to explore the wild nature right outside their doors. Literally just open the door, stand there whether you're in the middle of a, a bustling city or a very remote part of, of the world where no other humans are around and just, just ask the question of who is here right now. Mm. And it could be a dandelion in the crack in the sidewalk. It could be, you know, birds, trees, plants, ants, insects. And I, I would say, you know, if somebody's in, inspired by that, doing that every day for a week, mm. even if it's just a few seconds, a few minutes, it's so fun to see who are our neighbors, who is our, our community that we may not realize. Like I know there's a little ant colony right outside my front door at certain months of the year and they come up in the crack in the, and it's like, I'm not going to be able to fix that crack now because I really don't want to mess up their home, you know? But I love in the summer evenings going out and seeing, are they out yet? Are they here? And it, it's just, it creates a sense of our community beyond our human but i think it also it also to go back to earlier themes in our, our talk to in this podcast the loneliness the relationships all of those things are right outside of our door no matter where we live and if we're 20 stories up in an apartment building you know look out the window or, or go down and step outside it's it's just wild nature is everywhere and all we have to do is just open up our our minds and our hearts and our eyes and our ears and whatever senses we have abilities to use so open the door and say, who's here, right? Who's here? Who's here? 
I can't yeah. wait. Yeah. That's going to yeah. be the most fun science yet. <laughs> yeah. And I do this personally all the time as well. I mean, it's just, it's almost automatic now. It's just like, oh, you're out here today. Okay, hello, you know, or you're growing. Wow, it's time for the bulbs to come out of the ground. You know, it keeps me gr grounded in the the rhythms of the world, you know. That's perfect. That's perfect, especially especially for we're just edging into spring here in, in the, the mountains of, of Arizona. So, yeah, the, some bulbs will be coming up. Some yeah, buds Charles will be opening. Yeah, planted a whole bunch of bulbs. Yeah, we'll see. Oh, we'll nice. see if they survive the drought. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Deb, Deb Matlock, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been um, a powerful uh, openness experience mm -hmm. for me. My heart feels so good. Yeah. My heart feels good. Yeah. I feel I feel uh, less lonely and smaller. In a good way. In a good way. <laughs> In a good In way. way. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully a good way. It is. Yeah. Um, it is a good way. Well, I really enjoyed speaking with y'all. This was really fun. I, I love that we got to go to so many different places and and that was really fun for me too. So thank you again for the invitation. You are welcome. And thank you all for listening. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you're feeling a little, a little verklep uh, yourself. If you're not, um, maybe try listening to this episode again without <laughs> the, the television in the background, without the, the browser windows open. Um, put it on uh, in your earbuds when you go out for a walk. Ooh, yeah, that would kinda, be perfect for yeah, a walk. Ask, ask I'm getting my verklempness now. Yeah. Like, oh, good. Kelly, Kelly joined us. All three of us cried. Yep. It's good. Yep. <laughs> you know it's a good episode when everybody cries. And uh, Munchie is here on the on the studio table in between the two laptops. That's great. Mm -hmm. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. How is it that we keep getting to talk with these delicious, delightful people who are so full of comforting empathy and crackling insight and the fortitude to be out in the world fearlessly giving their gifts. Charles, I just got to say, you are killing it with getting guests lately. Oh, thanks. Uh, you know what? People are finding our podcast and actually asking to be. That's um, exciting. It is really exciting. Deb actually came to us from uh, Laird Christensen, That's who we interviewed, right. I want to say episode 60, yeah. something like that. And we just asked Laird, you know, who else should we be talking to? And he recommended Deb. So thank you, awesome. Laird. What, a, what an awesome hookup. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking to Deb, and I feel like I found a kindred spirit in yeah. that, you know, she's really open and just heartful and skeptical at the same time. Like, right. I didn't, I don't know very many other people like that out there. Yeah, who, she's not a Fruit Loop. No, no, she and she's able to hold the woo woo and the sciency uh -huh. kind of together at the same time, and and hold the hope and the grief at the same time, and uh, just, I mean, that is so that is so powerful to be able to hold those opposites in your arms at the same time. You know, your biceps are just like kind of quivering there yeah. as you hold them up together. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, she's I'm, tough. Yeah, I'm tough really and soft and yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really grateful to be able to have these conversations and I hope the audience is, you know, finding what they're looking for oh here gosh, too cuz I'm I'm getting it. I know. We like get therapy every week. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I feel so validated from the conversation. You know, I think what I liked was just feeling supported in my brokenheartedness as I watched nature getting pushed back all over our little corner of the world and knowing, you know, that it's happening everywhere on the planet. 
Uh, Deb feels that grief, but she she's figured out how to turn it into fuel. Yeah, yeah. I've mostly let it keep me balled up in the fetal position, literally or metaphorically. So I it, every time I talk to somebody who's doing something, you know, it makes me feel more motivated to keep working and keep moving in the direction of creating the world I want to be a part of, and that right. that means a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah, I like the two F words you just dropped there, fetal or fuel. Yeah. Like, what's the what's <laughs> the choice going to be? Um, right. And, and, and we have to make the choice over and over again. And I think, you know, Deb's science of just like, just open the door and see who's there. Right. And we just want to encourage everybody to do it. I've been doing it since we recorded this episode, and I've seen a new species of bird in the yard. I've seen the daffodils coming up. Uh, and that that helps me out of fetal and into fueled. Hmm. Yeah, I guess the difference is how plugged into it, you know, it's one thing to see it and mourn it and be angry, but when you really are plugged into it, there's some energy there to do something. Right, right. It's all reciprocal. Yeah. It's all reciprocal. The idea that we have to save the world and with just a one direction application of energy Mm -hmm. rather than to save the world and be saved by the world. Ugh, yeah. yeah. Oh man. Yeah, it's and it can't it can't just be in the in the direction of just being saved by the world either. It's got to be a reciprocal relationship yeah. as is a marriage, as is a community, yeah. as is parenting. It's it's all reciprocal. Whew, man. That's some heavy stuff. I had to think about that. <laughs> well, uh, one last thing that we have to say is that Deb gave us a little consultation about our problematic podcast situation, which we have alluded to here yeah, and there. Yeah, we, we, we introduced a, an adult cat to the to the situation. We introduced Clyde yeah, to the situation. He's struggling a little bit. Had mixed results at best. Um, and I should say we're struggling, and that's the other thing yeah, where, we're where, where Deb gave us a yeah. bunch of empathy around that. Yeah. It's just like how she's like yeah it's really challenging when there's discord in your house and we're like we love them both and we want them to get along yeah yeah it's painful when they don't well uh we lifted that out of the episode charles went snip snip and as you know because you just listened to it it wasn't in the episode but charles put that segment on the website next to the full episode for folks with cat issues or folks who just like to hear about cat issues and be glad they don't have them or if you just want a bit more deb matlock a bit more a bit more empathy a bit more wisdom so it's a little bone a little yeah. animal therapy bonus so it's about a 10 or 12 minute part of the conversation that was just our us talking about you know the struggle with these two cats and, you know, she gave some really concrete suggestions, mm-hmm. but they're also, again, just kind of this openness and this kind of holding both things at the same time mm-hmm. kind and of kind thing of going on. Slightly different way of looking at, at yep. our relationships with animals, yep. which and, I appreciate. And uh, yeah, and, and very concretely, my relationship with Clyde has changed mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of that conversation with her. Yeah. Yeah. So be sure, you know, to subscribe to this podcast for more of these inspiring and connecting conversations. If you don't know how to subscribe or even what that means, check out the How to Listen page on the website that we talked about in the intro. You can also follow us on Instagram at RocketFeather1 and join us in the Here Together Community Lab on Facebook. It's a great place to hang out with other like-minded hotties, meet some of the guests, discuss the issues, and share your science stories. We hope to see you there in the comments.
This is Charles Matthews. And Kelly Robert wishing you deep connection to the wholeness of our beautiful world. Yeah. Yeah. We love you. We love you. The Here Together podcast is a project of Rocket Feather Creative. Mm-hmm.